Turn to Isaiah 66. Isaiah chapter 66. And if you're wondering, yes, this is the final chapter of Isaiah. <laughs> final chapter. You've, we've made it officially. If you haven't been here before, we've actually been preaching through the whole book of Isaiah. We did take a break halfway through and went through Titus, and then we jumped back in. So we've actually been in Isaiah for a year and a half or so. And this is it. This is the final show. Isaiah 66. Um, you know, and I feel this way every time I preach and prepare to preach on Isaiah, is that, you know, I don't know if you guys know this, but a pastor typically only preaches about 25% of what he actually studied throughout the week or, or so. You only, get, you only get to really say about 25%, or, or maybe even less than that. So um, I hope you guys don't mind, though, because we didn't get to cover everything, I'd like to start back in Isaiah 1 and go through the entire uh, book, if, if that's okay. Um, <clears throat> I'm joking, I'm joking. We wouldn't do that. Um, maybe, maybe at some point in Hope's life we'll go back through uh, the entire 66 chapters uh, again. It's been a blessing. Um, what an amazing book. What an amazing book that talks about God's uh, grace to his people, their sin, and just this constant reaching out. What I've been amazed mostly is just God's constant reaching out in love and pursuit of his people in the midst of their sin. That he sticks with us, right? That's what I keep coming back to. His love is amazing. His grace is amazing. Well, there is a, this is a little bit of a lengthy uh, chapter, verse, 24 verses. So I'm going to have you remain seated as I read it. And this is God's word. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. He who slaughters an ox is like the one who kills a man. He who sacrifices a lamb like one who breaks a dog's neck. He who presents a grain offering like one who offers pig's blood. He who makes a memorial offering of frankincense like one who blesses an idol. These have chosen their own ways and their soul delights in their abominations. I also will choose harsh treatment for them and bring their fears upon them because when I called, no one answered. When I spoke, they did not listen, but they did what was evil in my eyes and chose that in which I did not delight. Hear the word of the Lord. You who tremble at his word, your brothers who hate you and cast you out for my name's sake have said, let the Lord be glorified that we may see your joy, but it is they who shall be put to shame. The sound of an uproar from the city, a sound from the temple, the sound of the Lord rendering recompense to his enemies. Before she was in labor, she gave birth. Before her pain came upon her, she delivered a son. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall a land be born in one day? Shall a nation be brought forth in one moment? For as soon as Zion was in labor, she brought forth her children. Shall I bring to the point of birth and not cause to bring forth, says the Lord? Shall I, who cause to bring forth, shut the womb, says your God? Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad for her, all you who love her. Rejoice with her and joy, all you who mourn over her that you may nurse and be satisfied from her consoling breast, that you may drink deeply with delight from her glorious abundance. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river, and the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream. 
and you shall nurse and you shall be carried upon her hip and bounced upon her knees as one whom his mother comforts. So I will comfort you and you shall be comforted in Jerusalem and you shall see and your heart shall rejoice. Your bones shall flourish like the grass and the hand of the Lord shall be known to his servants and he shall show his indignation against his enemies. For behold, the Lord will come in fire and his chariots like the whirlwind to render his anger and fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire will the Lord enter into judgment and by his sword with all flesh and those slain by the Lord shall be many. Those who sanctify and purify themselves to go into the gardens following one in the midst eating pig's flesh and the abomination and mice shall come to an end together declares the Lord. For I know their works and their thoughts. And the time is coming to gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come and see my glory, and I will set a sign among them. And from them I will send survivors to the nations, to Tarshish, Pool, and Lud, who draw the bow from Tubal and Yavan to the coastlands far away, who have not heard my fame or seen my glory. And they shall declare my glory among the nations." And they shall bring all your brothers from all the nations as an offering to the Lord on horses and in chariots and in litters and on mules and on dromedaries to my holy mountain Jerusalem, says the Lord, just as the Israelites bring their grain offering and a clean vessel to the house of the Lord. And some of them also I will take for priests and for Levites, says the Lord. For as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain from new moon to new moon, from Sabbath to Sabbath. All flesh shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord. And they shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me. For their worm shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. This is God's word. Would you pray with me real quick? Father, Wow, what an image. Uh, What a final word from Isaiah. And we see this being ramped up, the grace, the might, the power, and also the judgment and the punishment and the wickedness and the evil that will be judged. Father, would you convict us? Would we tremble at your word this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. So, I don't want to lose the forest for the trees as we end Isaiah. I want to sum up Isaiah with one, one word, one phrase, and we'll see if you agree with me. I sum it up like this, that what Isaiah is about is that we are sinners in need of a Savior. We're sinners in need of a Savior. That's really the message of Isaiah. Uh, that's what commentators have defined it as. Uh, I, you, I've been using Ray Ortland's commentary, and he titles his commentary, God Saves Sinners. Isaiah is God saves sinners. And we see that, that theme on repeat again and again and again through Isaiah. When my kids are really into a song, they want it on repeat, right? Whether it's a Disney song or a, a Paw Patrol song, again, again, we want to hear it again. Well, what's been on repeat for Isaiah is that we're sinners in need of a Savior and that only God can save. And guys, and friends, that's the heart of, of Christianity as well. That's the message of the gospel. That's the essence of what we believe. Christianity is not about a good people telling the world about how good we are and how good they can be. 
That's not the gospel. Now, the gospel is about a holy God saving us, a sinful people. That's the gospel. But we don't stay a sinful people either. God ramps it up and says, I'm going to transform you. You're going to be not just sinful, you're going to be transformed into a God-fearing people, a God-worshipping people who cast down their idols. And it's not just you that's going to be transformed, the whole cosmos is going to be transformed. The whole universe, new heavens and new earth. When Jesus returns. You see, as we've sort of ended Isaiah, haven't you noticed that he's beginning to divide the world into two types of people? You're either God's people or you're God's enemies. Have you felt that as we've moved through Isaiah 66? You're either with God or you're against him. So how do we know we're with God? How do you know you're on his side? Well, in three ways we see that this morning. The first is that we're called to tremble at his word. We're we're called to tremble before his word. Secondly, we're to be found within his church. Tremble at his word, be found within his church, and thirdly, join in his mission to reach the nations with the gospel. We're going to look at those three ideas. The first is to tremble before his word. Look at verses 1 through 6 of chapter 66. Look, Look how he begins it. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What does he mean by that? What, what a statement of God's transcendence, right? And when I say transcendence, what I mean is he is beyond all creation. He is over all creation. He is beyond our comprehension. I was uh, encouraged to learn that the kids were learning in Sunday school the attributes of God, and they've also studied the incomprehensibleness of God. That he is beyond our comprehension, that he is wholly other, sinless, perfect, righteous. But it also means he's beyond our control. He's outside creation. He's not dependent upon us for anything. He's not reliant upon us. Rather, we are dependent upon him for all things. That's why Isaiah, it says, what is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? See, God will always outstrip anything we build for him. Whatever uh, church we build for him, he can't be bought by anything. He can't be controlled. He can't be contained because he's larger than the universe. He's beyond the universe. We, there's no reference in the universe for who, what he is ex- like exactly. If we look at our parents, our father and our mother, we can't see them and say, God is exactly like that. No, he's better. He is more amazing. He's outside creation. You know, sometimes people give God gifts in order to have some some control over him. We give him good gifts so that he will then repay us, do something for us. But that's not how he works. That's not how he operates. If you remember way back in Isaiah chapter 6, I'm reminded of his vision, Isaiah's vision of the Lord on his throne, Yahweh on the throne, his train filling the room, the seraphim flying back and forth saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And what does Isaiah do? When he sees the full glory of the Lord, he falls down as though dead. And he says, I'm a sinful man from a sinful people. Right? That is the response to God's glory. And that is the response that he answers 
in verse 2. All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite and spirit and trembles at my word. That is the response that God loves. That is the response that he, uh, that he meets, that he comes to. Those that are humble and contrite. I'm reminded also of the king Josiah, when they discovered the book of the law, after it's been forgotten about for, for ages, as the kings went more and more uh, ungodly and, and evil, they discovered the book of the law. It's read to him. What does he do? Tears his robes because he realized that they've been rejecting God when they forgot his word. But his response is humble. It's contrition. It's, it's to bow down and it's to instill God's law on his people again. One commentator says this, that God does not look to the super spiritual, the hard workers, the insiders, those esteemed in the world's eyes, but he looks to those who humble themselves. Qualification for God's attention comes in this strange way, by admitting our disqualification. Let me repeat that. Qualification for God's attention comes in a strange way, by admitting our disqualification. This is the nature of the God whose grace is displayed throughout the Bible. This is the God of Isaiah. I'm reminded also just a few chapters previous, Isaiah 57. God says a very similar thing. He says, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. You see, he is high and lifted up, but he dwells with the contrite and lowly. And we see what happens to the people who are not contrite, who are not humble. In verses 3 and 4, these are the people who slaughter an ox, but who, it's like they're killing a man, who sacrifices a lamb is like one who breaks a dog's neck. What he's saying essentially is those who try to, conform to his law, but who don't hide God's word in their heart, it's like they're breaking God's law. Right? They're trying to be religious, but they have no regard for God. So it's like they're breaking God's law each time they do it. Alec Mortier, a commentator, says, Ritual conformity without moral obedience only extends sin into another area of life. It's possible to be religiously meticulous and at worst incur guilt, and at best achieve nothing. The word of God is key to everything. You can be religious. You can come to church. You can come to Sunday school. You can write commentaries. You can do all these religious things. But if you are not doing it to serve God but yourself, you're just extending sin into another area of life. Ray Orland says, True worship is also listening to God's word with a longing to hear a desire to believe, an intention to obey. He continues and says, Beware of sitting in church and rating the service, evaluating how it suits you. What's happening is more significant than that. We are all before Christ, and He is evaluating us when we hear His Word. Don't be a sermon connoisseur. Taking a taste here, a sip there, according to your likes and dislikes, If you worship as God defines worship, you will receive his word with a trembling eagerness, whatever he says. 
I like that it says that we are all before Christ and He is evaluating us. When we hear God's Word preached, when we read it for ourselves, the Word is actually interrogating you. I think we've, we've gotten it backwards today as we read and study God's Word. We're, we think we're on the offense. It's actually He's on the offense as His Word is being read. I was watching basketball with uh, Holden last night, my little one-year-old. And, you know, we're starting to bond over sports already. And we're watching basketball, and we're seeing the full-court press, right? <clears throat> and, and the other team just is struggling to get it up the court, and then they get a 10-second violation. When we read God's Word, He is putting the full-court full press on us, right? He is interrogating us. He is evaluating us as we read His Word. We're to tremble at His Word. And we need to regain that idea. Ortland also says, What God blesses is not buildings and liturgies, styles. What he blesses is a trembling heart. What he blesses is a trembling heart. And you know, sometimes I fear with, with our access to the Bible all the time, with our apps, on our phones, we've, everybody's got five Bibles at home. We're, we take it for granted. We take it for granted. And I don't know if you knew this, but the Bible was once outlawed in the English language, in England, in the 1500s. And there was a man who, he was a scholar, and he wanted to put the Bible from Latin to English. And he paid the price. His name was William Tyndale. And on October 6, 1536, he was brought out to the place of his execution. The crowd watched as he was placed up against a stake. Wood and straw piled around his feet. Gunpowder was sprinkled on top. A chain and rope was placed around his neck, and just before he was killed, Tyndale gave his last words, Lord, open the king of England's eyes. The noose was tightened, and Tyndale was no more. His body was burned, and the spectacle was made more gruesome by the fact that the gunpowder exploded. God's outlaw, William Tyndale, met with a martyr's death for the crime of bringing the word of God to England. But just two years later, his prayer would be answered, and Henry VIII decreed that a copy of the Bible in English and Latin should be made available in every church in England. And his translation work is found in every English translation since his own. When the King James arranged for a new translation of Scripture, 50 of the finest scholars were commissioned, yet they could not improve on Tyndale's work. Roughly 84% of the New Testament and 76 of the Old Testament in the King James Version is the work of Tyndale. If you own any English version of the Bible, you are indebted to William Tyndale. In fact, if you read or speak English at all, you're indebted to him. His work standardized the English language and gave us a number of phrases we still use today. When an English word didn't exist, he invented it. Scapegoat, atonement, Passover, peacemaker, and many others. William Tyndale was in many ways the father of the modern English language just as he was the father of both the English Bible and the English Reformation. But how many times might Tyndale have saved his life if he had simply ceased from his work? Yet his heart was held captive to the word of God. He gave his life for the cause of making God's word known to the people from the king of England all the way down to the humble plowboy. And I'm also, I've, I've heard stories and read of the, the Scottish revivals where people would, would leave, uh, would cross over mountains and, and hills and go through the woods in the night to, to go to the evening services to hear the word of God. And one 
uh, Charles Brown recalls it like this. He says, It was often a stirring sight to witness the multitudes assembling during the dark winter evenings, to trace their progress as they came in all directions, across moors and mountains by the blazing torches, which they carried to light their way to the places of meeting. The word of the Lord was precious in those days, and personal inconvenience was little thought of when the hungering soul sought to be satisfied. And so, I have a fear. I fear we've lost our hunger for the word. I fear that we've lost a desire to hear it, to hear it read and to study it the way Christians did centuries ago. Uh, we, we take it for granted, don't we? I take it for granted. I'm, ta- I'm talking to myself. Uh, when we can flip open my smartphone and read my Bible and then check my email and then check the news, it becomes wrapped up in everything else I'm doing. And that's not the place it should be. I need to tremble. How can I tremble before the Word when I'm treating it like a news report? And so I think we just need to be careful. I think we need to be diligent to tremble. Are we trembling? Before the word, may God grant us humble, contrite hearts that tremble before his word. And that means we should do it as a family. And I'm speaking mostly to, to the men here that we need to lead our families and have times where you bring your family to, to hear the word, to, to, to talk to each other about God's word and to worship God together and not take it for granted. I'm not saying we need to go back to William Tyndale's world. It's a huge blessing what he gave us, but not, let's not take it for granted. Uh, but let us tremble before his word. The second major idea is that we're to be found within the family of God. How do we know we're a part of God's people? We tremble before his word, and then we're found within his family. In verse 7 and following, we read about this, um, this delivery of a child. Before she was in labor, she gave birth. Before her pain came upon her, she delivered a son. Who is she? Who is this referring to? Well, if you go down to the bottom of verse 8, for as soon as Zion was in labor, she brought forth her children. Zion is a symbol, is a, is a word that really encapsulates God's people. Right? Zion was Mount Zion. This is where Jerusalem is. This is where God's people would meet, where, where the people would gather And it's speaking of the miraculous birth of God's people, the spiritual birth of God's people. When someone is born again, right? they are actually spiritually born. That's why Jesus used that phrase, born again. That we uh, are are literally uh, made new into a new person. And so that's what verses 7 through 9 are talking about, that that new people are going to be born in Zion. a A new type of person, one who is who is wrought by the Holy Spirit and not by our own works. Anytime anybody believes in Jesus, the Spirit is at work to renew their hearts. When you believed in Jesus, you didn't do it on your own, but God awakened you. He, 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 he literally birthed you uh, with new eyes and a new heart. And in verse 10, we're called to rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad for her. All you who love her, rejoice with her and, and joy and all you who mourn over her, that you, may be, that you may nurse and be satisfied from her consoling breast, that you may drink deeply with delight from her glorious abundance. See, we're called to be found within the family of God, that we're called to rejoice over the church. 
that when we come here to, to worship together, we're not just individually worshiping, right? We're not in silos, but we are doing it together. That's why we're called to gather. The church is the assembly, ecclesia. But it says, rejoice with her, enjoy all you who mourn over her. You know that the church goes through ups and downs and that we need to be real about the failings of the church and they should be acknowledged and lamented when the church is going through difficult times. But we don't do it without hope. We don't do it without hope because what we're called to do as we get on to verse 13 is that as the one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you and you shall be comforted in Jerusalem. And back to verse 12, behold, I will extend peace to her like a river, that we receive peace when we're with God's people. We ought to, at least. As we hear God's word, it should change us and comfort us. As we meet with other believers, as we talk with each other, we should be comforted. And so the question for us is, will you be found in Jerusalem? Will you, and what that means is not, not geographical Jerusalem. Are you going to be found within God's people? As a believer, are you within the boundaries of God's people? And so my question also for you is, do you find nourishment here? Are you being nourished with God's word? Are you being blessed as he promises it to us? One example of this, and I love the visual that we have at the end of our services, is the benediction. The benediction, and George, when he does it, he asks everyone to raise their hands and their eyes, right, to see his hands lifted up and to hear the blessing called out upon you that... God looks upon you with favor. Right? This is a blessing, not a prayer. When we, when we end the service, we don't end it in prayer. A prayer is really words to God, but a blessing, benediction, is God's words to you. And that's why we, we lift up our hands to receive, to be nourished, and to be given something as a gift. And that's what the church is here to do. That's what, that's what the gospel is here to do, is to give you a gift. And all we have to do is, by faith, accept it. So will you be found within the family of God at the end of your life or when Jesus comes back? That's the question that we're asking. And then also, in verse 18 and following, we are to be sent out. We're to be sent out. And before I get there, there's, there, there are verses here that talk about the judgment, and we'll get to the judgment in the end. But again, we're moving toward only two visions of the end of the world. Judgment for God's enemies and fire. We see in verse 15, uh, his anger and fury at those who have rejected him. And then blessing, eternal blessing for God's people, those who are found in Jerusalem. But those, those of us in Jerusalem, those of us called by God, we are to be sent out. You know, we've, I've come across this quite a bit in Isaiah, that it's a missionary book. It is one of the most, um, you know, I don't know how, uh, you know, the Jews of the day really missed the fact that, that there was, when the Messiah came, maybe they understood this to an extent, that when the Messiah came, they were to go out to, to, to all the world, right, with this message of the gospel. And, and that is what we are called to do as God's people. Look at verse 18. For I know their works and their thoughts, and the time is coming to gather all nations and tongue. See that? To gather all nations and tongue. One commentary I was reading, he thinks that that's the most explicit missionary really verse in the Old Testament. 
that we are to gather all the nations and all the tongues. The time is coming, and we know the time is already here. It reminds me of Acts 1, verse 8, but you, as Jesus speaking, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. We are to be sent out and gathering the nations. But it also says we'll have a sign, verse 19, and I will set a sign among them. I will set a sign among them. What is a sign? What is that sign? Well, I'll argue that the sign is Jesus Christ himself, that we carry that sign. We carry that message of Jesus. And as we were ending Isaiah, I wanted to go through, do a summary of Isaiah. Where are all the places where Jesus is spoken of explicitly all throughout Isaiah? There are certainly allusions to Jesus everywhere, but where is he actually spoken of? So I'm going to make my way, and you can just think and follow along, maybe write these down as I do it. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, we read that he will be the incarnate Son of God. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Just a couple chapters later, Isaiah 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. In Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 2, he is spoken of as this shoot that comes out of the stump of Jesse. The, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, right, who was the father of David, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Isaiah twenty two twenty two. We're spoken of the authority, the key of David that Jesus will have. It's referenced in Revelation. And I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David, and he shall open and none shall shut. He shall shut and none shall open. In Isaiah 28, verse 16, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who is laid as a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. In Isaiah 40, verses 3 through 5, we read the words of John the Baptist, who's making a way for the Lord. A voice cries in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain will be made low, and uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. All flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And in, verse, and in chapter 42 of Isaiah, verses 1 through 3, we, get, we begin the servant songs, that this Messiah will be a servant. Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights, I've put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. In chapter 49, verse 6, 
it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Right? He's to be this light to the nations. Isaiah 50, verse 6. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I, I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. This servant would be... Um, would go through pain for, for his people. Isaiah 52, verse 13 through 14. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind that he shall be high and lifted up. Where? Where is Jesus high and lifted up? On the cross. That's where he's exalted. In Isaiah 53, I could have read the entire chapter of Isaiah 53 and said this is about Jesus, but I'll just read verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Right, That he will secure our salvation on the cross. Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 2. Remember the mic drop moment? Jesus comes and reads this in the synagogue. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He is the anointed one, the Messiah, that he will bring in, he will usher in salvation. And then lastly, Isaiah 63, verse 1. He who is this, who is this who comes from Edom, his crimson garments from Basra, he who is splendid in his apparel, marching in the greatness of his strength, it is I speaking in righteousness, mighty to save. This is the vision of Jesus coming as warrior, right? As king, as conqueror to finish all his enemies and to destroy them as he brings us salvation. This is Jesus all throughout Isaiah. This is the sign we're to carry. This is the message that we are to proclaim, not ourselves, but the salvation offered in Jesus. We're to tell the world of our great hope. And so friends, our calling is... is It's clear, carry this sign. The person and work of Jesus is who we're to proclaim, who we're to declare. When you guys step out of the front doors of this church later, you become missionaries in that sense. You become missionaries as you are given the sign. You're giving this message, this person, this work that is finished, that is secure, and is the only hope for dying sinners. What a privilege that we get that. But the stakes are eternal. Let's not forget that the stakes are high when we do this. And we're going to look here at the last uh, three verses, 22, 23, and 24, as we wrap up Isaiah. For as the new heavens and the new earth that I made shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain. From new moon to new moon, from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship before me declares the Lord. So we get this picture of the new heavens, the new earth, right? The promise for all God's people. But here we get the alternative vision. And they shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who've rebelled against me, for their worms shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. So Isaiah ends out on a minor note, not a major note, but it's a warning It's a beware moment. Ortland 
Ray Ortland says, all you have to do to go to hell forever is to stay on your present course of self-salvation. Hell says not merely a temporary no, but a, an eternal no to sin. Hell is especially for those who think they are too good to be helped by God. Hell receives those who imagine themselves good. Jesus receives those who know themselves sinners. Who know themselves sinners. And in fact, no one can opt out of these two visions. We're, we're all in this together. Either one or the other. And in fact, you're choosing which side you're on every single day. He says every one of us is constantly reaching out for one or the other, for our own salvation, for our glory, or God's salvation for His glory. Every one of us is living a life that reveals the true tilt of our souls one way or the other, every single day. And so Isaiah ends this prophecy with the vision of only two outcomes that every single person will have. It will either exist for you, that you'll be completely satisfied, enjoy in the new heavens and new earth, or you will have complete dread, unending pain, and hell. So where will you be? Where will you be? And how can you know? Right, that's the better question. How can you know where you'll be? You can know where you'll be if you tremble at his word. You can know where you'll be if you are a survivor of grace, a recipient of grace who's found within God's people. You know where you'll be if you love to carry the word. And the, and the sign of Jesus to other people. Moltier ends his uh, commentary with these words, If the glory does not win us to life of obedience, if visions of the coming king, the sin-bearing servant, the liberating anointed conqueror will not suffice, then maybe the unmistakable hor- horrible rewards of disobedience will drive our wayward hearts to tremble at the word of the Lord. So he gives us both, right? May we run away from that vision of hell. And may we tell other people to flee the wrath to come because it's real. And heaven is a world of love. It's a world of complete satisfaction and joy if we were to humble ourselves and tremble before the word of the Lord. So would you do that with me, I pray. Let's pray together. Father, cause us to tremble at your word. Father, It is so difficult in our sinful flesh because we are pulled to satisfy ourselves, to listen to the world, um, and to think you don't love us, and to think you're not good enough. We believe the lie of the serpent in the garden. Did God really say? Is he trustworthy? Is he good? So Father, help us to not believe those lies. Help us to cling to your word, to cling to truth, to tremble, and to know that Jesus did it all. He accomplished everything in our place. All we have to do is run to him. Would you bless us? In Jesus' name, amen.